Um, so, Beck, we have been reminded by our loyal listeners, haven't we, that we've been a little bit slack Alice recently, and that's no disrespect to anybody called Alice. Just <laughs> you're a bit slack if you're called Alice. I, um, so, Beck, remind us who it was who um, I, politely kicked us up the backside. Well, so the lovely Mags has sent through a message, and thank you for that very much, Mags. Um, I, I feel that I must confess, I had actually thought about reaching out to you, Vic, you know, at least I'd say three times over the past couple of weeks. And I just, you know, you know, we're busy people. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't be bothered, could you, Beck? And, and, you know, what a lot of the listeners don't know, the people who don't know me know, don't know that I'm a thoroughly horrible person to be around and I've got terrible body odour. So, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> I do understand why you suggested that we started doing this remotely. <laughs> oh, my God. Absolutely untrue. All of these things are not <laughs> even remotely true. Um, although you have been quite germy a number of times that we have met. Oh, yeah. But you're the one. You're the one with the snotty kids. <laughs> That's always getting sick. And but- on that note, we're going to talk about resilience, aren't we? Which I think is quite... The germy, the smelliness. Um, but we're going to talk about resilience in both the kind of industry, cybersecurity, technical sense, and in the sense of human and emotional resilience, aren't we? Oh, well, interestingly enough, so I attended a conference today or a part of a conference today about resilience. And I went to one of the roundtable sessions that I sat in on because I was really intrigued. It was talking about how to create personal resilience in your security teams. And so, you know, being in the bank these days, I'm all learning about operational resilience. What does that mean? And and please, we'll talk about that a whole separate section. But I, I was super intrigued. I was like, "Wow, personal resilience! You know, are they are there metrics for this? Are they, you know, are they measuring it? What what are the impacts? You know, that we're looking at here." And so I went and sat down, and it was all like emotional intelligence and like you know having happy workers and and of course I was like, you know, these are good things. I love these things. I do a lot of things around these things. But I was also a little bit disappointed that it wasn't tied into operational resilience. <laughs> Right. So, um, I, I mean, how do you measure resilience? Did they? Did you get any nuggets on that, or was it more of a general discussion? Well, I, so I did set in on uh, I did set in on another roundtable where we talked specifically around the metrics of operational resilience. Uh, sad to say, I did not come away with any gems. Uh, we did talk uh, in the round, however, uh, around lots of uh, reasons why it's important, what level you should go to, um, and I have to say, I sort of came away thinking around operational resilience. Like, I feel like it's sort of in the infancy stage right now. You know, I said this to you earlier as well it's like when cloud first came along and people were like what does cloud mean feels very nebulous you know feels very cloudy (laughs) i kind of feel like that's where we're at with operational resilience right now everyone likes to throw the word around and they're not all quite singing from the same hymn page (laughs) right and it's fascinating isn't it because i i don't know about you but i feel like you know me beck i like to see things in terms of you know, trends and progress and evolution and, you know, changing patterns and stuff. And and what I see with resilience is that, you know, when, when certainly when I started out in cyber, there was a lot more of promising people absolute security. 
You know, mm. there was a lot mm. more of if you plug this in, you'll have an amazing time. You won't have to worry about breaches. And and over time, breaches happened and everybody started to have their expectations managed a lot more. So so resilience became an increasingly popular term. And for those of, you know, for people who don't work in the industry, for people who aren't thinking about operational resilience or aren't involved in incident response, business continuity, maybe we should unpack this a little bit for yeah. them. I mean, I, for me, resilience, the very, very general term, is a capacity to recover quickly. But it's also got that kind of feeling of elasticity about it, hasn't it? It's got that kind of slinky feeling that you're springing back right. from a kind of adverse experience. Well, so, um, that, sorry, mm. that, that's a great phrase because actually one of the things, one of the um, definitions I pulled out because I was intrigued by this as well. Um, so I've always looked at resilience in the way that you're talking about it. And the thing that's been fascinating to me and the reason I made the time to actually go to a conference, <laughs> uh, being brand new in my job, is that within the bank and within the financial services um, sort of sector, right, they're looking at resilience in a whole new light based upon the way the um, regulatory authorities have started to sort of assign importance to it. So they did a whole discussion paper that they released in July of last year. And uh, long story short, the Bank of England had defined operational resilience as, quote unquote, the ability of firms in the financial system as a whole to absorb and adapt to shocks rather than contribute to them. And I thought, ah, oh, right, yes, 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 yes. So <laughs> they're really looking at, again, being quite sort of, um, uh, you know, handing out the guidance around how to do this. And now it's up to everyone to try and figure out, you know, okay, prescriptively, how are we going to take that and then convert that into something meaningful within within the different financial service businesses? And that's where I think it's all just gone a little bit haywire now. <laughs> Right. I mean, there's there's so much big language in there, right? So when when you say to me adapt, absolutely, that feels like resilience. And you see all of these amazing kind of infographics where they talk about, you know, recovering, adapting, thriving, you know, all of that stuff. And yeah. um, that, you know, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that aspect of resilience. Yeah. But to use the word shock yes. is really interesting because that implies like mega events particularly yeah. when you're thinking about financial institutions. That's not necessarily what we've seen some of the business continuity and resilience issues being in the cyber world where it's been like, I mean, I was, I immediately thought of the, um, some of the outages that British Airways has been subject to over the last couple of years. And do you remember that 2017 one where somebody in IT allegedly flicked off a switch at a data center and the backup didn't come on. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is kind of resilience more than on a day-to-day basis, more than for instance, like the big shocks and, you know, kind of black swans and natural disasters and that kind of thing. Well, and well, the other component again, that's been interesting to me reading about it from the regulatory authority perspective has been around the fact that they're assigning this level of operational resilience and the importance of that to the services. And so they're not looking necessarily like with BCP and DR um, business continuity, 
What's the P stand for? Business continuity process. I don't know, but you're the CISO. <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me acronyms. I did it to myself. A <laughs> uh, disaster recovery. But whenever you're looking at it, you know, from from that angle, you're really focused on sort of the tech, right? If if X sort of hits Y, then we're going to kick in Z process, and you know, everyone's going to start running around in panic. No, no, no. We've got our bulleted list. Let's follow that. Whereas with the operational resilience component to it, I think they sort of look at that and they say, you know what, what are the services that our customers depend upon? And then again, what are those operational impacts? Um, what do they call it? What's the language? Uh, impact tolerance. What's the impact tolerance mm. that we're willing to accept for that service for the customer? And clearly BA didn't necessarily have that or maybe they just blew it completely out of the water. But yeah, that's a great example and, and actually reverse engineering that, you know, if if you were to be BA and you were to say, right, how are we going to do this in future? Because we've had a few of these now, um, is to look at the operational impacts and then work back and decide what is, you know, what's intolerable. I mean, that 2017 outage, right. uh, about 75,000 people had their flights cancelled. Right. Yeah. Intolerable. You know. <laughs> That's a massive number, and that's a lot of money, you know. Um, and then I, I also associate um, resilience with critical infrastructure, you know, with energy supply. And, um, you know, we like to think, don't we, that um, if you are critical infrastructure, then you're much hotter on resilience and business continuity. And I suspect that probably is the case. But do you remember back in August when we had that big power cut? I think nearly a million people were affected in the UK and traffic lights were affected. King's Cross Station was closed because all the trains were were cancelled. And the National Grid explained that as being down to two power generators failing. Yes, yeah. Now, for me, that sounds like there's not sufficient backup, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but the- and, and that also, yeah, that reminds me also, you know, the basics of the cyber side of this. When we all first got word processors and somebody said to us, you have backed that up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now we've all turned into a bunch of data hoarders. So it's like we've just gone the flip side of that one. <laughs> Yeah, and back to your original point, it's all in the cloud. We don't have to think about backing it up. It's all in the cloud. Somewhere, somebody's cloud. Uh, um, but yeah, just go, going back to the, the operational uh, sort of resilience and, and mapping out the definition for that, you know, we, again, one of the roundtables I said in earlier, you know, they were talking about these dashboards and, you know, what metrics do you need to have and how do you determine those impact tolerances and and the thing that really struck me is we hadn't started the conversation, or maybe I just blanked it, but I hadn't heard them start the <laughs> conversation talking about, you know, how are we going to define what is operational resilience, you know, for this business, for our company, you know, for our organization? Because to me, if you don't start by defining that, you know, and again, mm. focusing and pulling out which are these services that we're going to include under the resilience definition then you're just going to end up with a dashboard that most likely has got, you know, 90,000 umpteen different metrics on it. And you're just going to get stuck, you know, generating information and data for data's sake. 
And so that seemed to me to be another one of the the sort of areas of concern when you start looking at operational resilience as a whole. Right. And and equally, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, um, but <laughs> I'm I don't not think an anyone is at this but, point. <laughs> but I'm going to express my opinion about it. Well, that's um, why we're here. That's why we're here, Vic. Everyone knows that. That's why. It's because nobody else is listening to me otherwise. That's <laughs> my you, husband. Vic, I when listen I say, to you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Because when I say to my husband, I'm not an expert, but he just wanders off. <laughs> At least you get to that point. My wife won't even listen to that much. She's like, you talking about work again? (laughs) The dogs listen to me, but I don't think they understand what I'm saying. I feel like that about my (laughs) two-year-old. I think I'm pretty certain the dogs just think I'm saying biscuit, biscuit, biscuit. (laughs) And that's why they're so pleased with me. Um, okay I I was gonna say are they fat because if they're fat then you're giving them too many biscuits and that is what they think you're saying (laughs) no they're not they're not they're very well there's been some great evidence of swimming in the sea this week um which will which will come you know we'll come on to um emotional resilience and and self-care and all of that stuff you know in in a second but I tell you what occurred to me I've forgotten my previous point. It, I'm no expert, but sorry, uh, uh, but I am. I'm no expert, but I am quite forgetful. Um, <laughs> it's charm, It's all part of the charm. I'm, I'm no expert in memory loss and being easily distracted, but um, <laughs> but one thing did occur to me, and this is a semi-serious point: that the business we are in, or that we have variously been in over our careers you know, has has involved incident response and response to incidents that are pretty high stress, pretty high stakes sometimes, you know, requiring the kind of deep dive investigation under a lot of time pressure that is, you know, pretty unpleasant. You're quite often dealing with pretty unpleasant adversaries, um, quite a negative side of life. And it can be quite difficult, I think, when you work, particularly something like incident response in the cyberspace or in the operational security space, right. to kind of detach yourself from that and give yourself enough time to not always be fighting fires, to build resilience, not just in your team so that there are other people to pick up the slack, but also to take time out and look after yourself. Um, and so I would like to ask you, Becky Pinkard, what you do to look after yourself when you're stressed out? Oh, do you know what? I, I've done different things at different points in time. Again, quite you know, quite honestly, and, and a little bit seriously. Um, I, it's only been a handful of times when I felt so stressed to the point that I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm going a bit bonkers here. I, I actually feel unable to cope, you know, on a day-to-day basis with whatever the stressful work situation was. Um, at one point in time, so about 10 years ago, I went through something like that and I took up jogging. Uh, for those of you that have ever seen me, Ooh. you know that I'm I'm not the natural jogger. So I was really stressed at that point in my life. I um, just, but, can but that, I just interrupt? I'm going to interrupt back. Everybody is a natural jogger. I'm not, I'm not willing to take that as an answer. You may proceed. <laughs> okay. Well, it felt very unnatural, uh, but but that that did help a lot. So so the exercise definitely helped a lot at that point in time. Um, and then I, I had sort of another, you know, kind of um, uh, you know, felt like a near breaking point. I'm I'm literally going to lose my mind uh, type situation. Um, 
Yeah, not not as long ago. And um, during that particular time, I, I really found that, you know, by getting outside of myself a bit and by sort of digging into trying to help other people, you know, that that helped me a lot. And it helped to sort of reinforce for me that, you know, okay, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Everything's going to be all right. You know, it's just sort of calm down a bit. <laughs> so I think it really depends. You know, it depends upon where you're at. It depends upon what the stress is. It depends upon do you have coping mechanisms that you've used in the past that have worked for you? Are you open to new coping mechanisms? I mean, I've, I've you know, got personal family members that uh, are just absolutely adamant. You know, oh, I would never talk to anyone. No, I would no, I would never see a therapist. That's just crazy talk. And I'm like, well, that, you know, that's not really how it works. <laughs> yeah. But again, if they're open to that experience, then, you know, they're cutting themselves off from that. And I think you have to be open to trying lots of different things. What do you do, Vic? I'm sure you, I know you've been stressed. We've talked about it before. Yeah. So I've, I've developed a number of not coping techniques, but coping activities, I think would be the, <laughs> the way of putting it. So yeah, I jog. I've, jogging is one of the things that I have done most persistently in my life. So I've been doing it about 20 mm. years now, would you believe? I've not really got any oh. better, which is mildly disappointing. <laughs> if anything, I started off at a, a, you know, a kind of a, a leisurely stroll and now I've kind of slowed to a crawl. <laughs> uh, which which sometimes is lifted to a stumble on a good day um but, but, but you're like doing you it say, it well it takes you like you say it takes you outside yourself it takes you outside actually which I think is really really important particularly when you do a job mm. where you are crouched over a screen or a laptop or a tablet for most of your day you know, remembering to stand up and walk away for a bit, um, mm. using a different part of your brain. So I, I love jogging. I really love walking. I took myself out for a long walk earlier this evening. I'd finished a bit of work that was not stressful, but kind of I had to really think about it. And I was mm. late, you know, sending it in. And I finished that and I was quite pleased with myself. And I thought, right, off I go. Using my legs helps switch my brain off, certainly. Yes. And then yeah. maybe using a different part of your brain. So I know we joke about my shameful folk music production, but um, <laughs> it's it's important to me, not just because I think, you know, because I'm some kind of, um, you know, tuppenny, two pence, oh, threepenny bit, that's what I meant to say, which is a <laughs> lovely Eng English idiom for you, kind of, or two penny um, diva, let's say. It's not just that. Um, it's, it's as much about <laughs> turning off one bit of my brain and using another bit of my brain, Yeah, yeah. which kind of helps me, it kind of helps me recover and the other bits of my brain. Yeah. Well, you, you turn off, like you said, if you sort of turn off that thinking bit, you know, that section or whatever that's focused on, on the work stuff, I think that's where the stress gathers as well. I also find sometimes that if I, you know, switch, you know, whatever I'm thinking about or, or, or do something, you know, physical with my hands or whatever, that my brain will still be ticking away on whatever that thing was. And, you know, sometimes I'll have like a little, oh, moment <laughs> as I'm focused on something else. Sorry, Beck, how does that go again? It goes like this. Are you ready? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I can, I'll tell you what I can see. I can see a choir of angels when you do that. 
Are you sure they're angels? <laughs> Hang on. No, no, they are definitely angels. They're definitely <laughs> angels. I like no, I like that a lot. Now, my my nan, the beautifully named Estella Osbaldiston. I love it. Um, my my grandma, um, she said. Uh, you've got to do the things that make you sleep at night. Ah. Mm, you see, proper proper Nana's wisdom there. Oh, I like that. Um, and one thing I can say about going jogging is that when you're jogging, your brain and your entire body suddenly switches from what you're really, really annoyed and stressed about to trying to keep yourself alive and continuing breathing. <laughs> and I think I think that is actually quite a good thing to do. Whatever it is that makes you think about something else, however briefly, yes. will, as yeah. you mentioned about other people's experiences, will help put your situation in perspective. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the reasons why across our industry you see some folks and, and you just see some really amazing hobbies and you see some, you know, really interesting, um, sometimes really super geeky, but, you know, different um, things that people like to do. Uh, it's kind of like whenever you go into some of the conferences and they've got a whole table of like lock picking stuff set up, you know. Right. <laughs> Okay, we all want to be criminals? No, we just, you know, we want to use a different part of our brain. We want to get our hands involved in something, you know, a little bit physical and, and still test ourselves, but not in that same sort of mentally taxing way as like, you know, breaking apart an incident and looking at like, I don't know, packet captures and stressing over, you know, where the attackers are in our em environment now. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it got me thinking because um, we were on Stu's podcast the many hats podcast weren't we a, a yes. few weeks ago and we had the question in about you know how do you look after yourself when you're when you're working on horrible stuff or when you're working on really high stress stuff I mean right. that like, begs the question as well because we know that we've got kind of a few managers and senior leaders listening to this podcast it does raise the question of what should managers be doing with their teams to ensure that they have sufficient emotional and psychological resilience. It's, it's all very well us saying that we're responsible for ourselves, but what, you know, we, we surely as well should be doing, um, we should be creating environments and creating activities for our teams to allow them to switch off and build resilience. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I, so interestingly enough, this this uh, is tied to, I find, emotional intelligence, right, which I um, have been harping on for the last, I don't know, at least a couple of years, um, just because I only recently figured out in the last two or three years myself that, oh, yeah, it's actually okay to have, you know, emotions in business. Um, I can't remember if I've ever told you this story, Vic, but I had a number of years ago, I had a CISO at a, a large um beverage manufacturing company who shall be unnamed uh, but tell me that um there's no emotion everyone's frantically googling listening know, to the right? recording of this now <laughs> what matters is i didn't say it on air uh, but anyway this this particular individual said you know and i was i can't remember what the deal was i was i was passionate about something you know i was i was upset about something wasn't working right uh and um the uh 
at the time I was told, you know, there's no emotion in business. And this was from a CISO. And I, you know, my role at the time, I was a security architect, something or other. And so I took it to heart. And I was like, oh, that's, that's how come I'm, you know, I feel different. That's how come I don't feel like I fit exactly sometimes. Um, you know, I'm very emotional and that's all these sort of, you know, guys that I'm surrounded by. That's how they deal with it. They don't have any emotion in business. And so I carried that with me. I've, I've mentored people for the love of God. Maria, if you ever listen to this, I just apologize to you right now. She'll know who she is, but I, I know specifically at one point in time, I told this poor woman, you know, this story and, and about, oh, there's no emotion in business. And, um, yeah, it just hit me out of the blue, like about three years ago. Now it was like, well, of course there's emotion in business, you numpty. If you don't have emotion in business, then you don't bring your whole self to your job. And if you don't bring your whole self to your job, then they've not, they're not getting probably what you had on the package when they hired you. And it just, the whole thing becomes a big tangled mess then, you know? And it just, it was like, I'd open up some sort of like, again, oh, <laughs> <type> moment. <laughs> Choirs of Angels, ladies and gentlemen, Choirs of Angels. <laughs> That's what we should have named this podcast. <laughs> this is where this is where we do need some kind of visuals, really, for the for the listening public. Um, no, but you're absolutely right because um, if you're not emotional about your work at all, then you're lacking passion for it as well, and you're lacking the commitment, and you're lacking pride in your work, and that's yeah. clearly a good thing to bring to your job. Absolutely. And to be able to bring it right, bring it in a professional way to be able to tailor it so that it's appropriate for the environment that you're in. Nobody ever explained that stuff to me. Nobody ever explained that stuff to me, you know? And so I guess that's one of the things I feel sort of passionately about trying to get out now to help folks understand, at least from my two cents or tuppany or however you say it's worth <laughs> is that i can i confuse the terms okay. anyway back so <laughs> right so and and how much of how much of that you know we, we're going to get back to the old chestnut again aren't we you know how much of that you know when when you were told there's no emotion in business how much of that was enforcing against gender in your role? Oh, I, was it I, to tell you I, to get back in your lady box, so to speak? <laughs> oh my God, there's a term. I feel like that should be on a t-shirt somewhere. <laughs> I refuse to be, I refuse to work in my life. No, that just stop Becky. Okay. never mind. <laughs> yes. There are young people listening. I know, I'm, I'm just, sorry. Cause I started this. It's my you fault. Did start that. I really blame you for but that. But you yeah, have I, a responsibility <laughs> to keep me clean back. <laughs> oh no, that's not how this works. I would never, never accept that job because I would fail miserably at it. Um, <laughs> I think, yes, I, I think it definitely was very much, you know, the, this poor person at the time probably had no idea how to handle me to be fair, you know, to, to him. It probably wasn't uh, that clued up on how to be that kind of leader, you know, oh, crying woman in my office. What do I do now? Oh, I know. I'll tell her we don't have emotion in the workplace, you know? Um, so I, I think it is a, it's a process of our work environments growing up a bit and getting a bit more mature and breaking some of those um, 
you know, social mores that we've grown up with. I mean, we've grown up with, you know, oh, girls can cry. Yeah, you know, the girls will take care of that. Oh, boys don't cry. Look, you know, you need to toughen up. You know, boys don't cry. And I I think it is, yeah, definitely at that point in time, you know, was was a, a big part of that. But yeah, hopefully we're changing that and we'll continue to evolve that over the years. We certainly see enough people online talking about it. And social media is great for that. I think social media is, and you know, this is my favorite topic. We're not going to go down this path. We've been down it before. But I think social media is helping to evolve a societally, you know, faster than ever. And that's a great example for me, the emotional intelligence part to, you know, work. And people being able to share their stories and, and not just share in the sense of broadcast, but a real exchange where, you know, somebody is able to talk about a frustration that they've had and then somebody else can say, do you know what, this happened to me, this is how I dealt with it, it wasn't perfect, but you might find it helpful to do A, B and C. And right. and I wonder, you know, when we're thinking about how organisations can build resilience um, and build resilience specifically in their teams. I mean, one of the things that occurred to me in relation to cyber and particularly with incident response is that, you know, some of the situations that people, the really stressful situations that people face in cybersecurity are because they're unexpected and because they haven't prepared for them. So from a process perspective, having a playbook of what could go wrong, having a think in advance about who might be interested in your data, about who might be interested in, you know, conducting a denial of service on your website, you know, who who are your enemies, who are your adversaries, um, who is not particularly happy with some of your policies, practicing what could go wrong, wargaming that, all the tabletop exercises that we learn how to do in cybersecurity. Just actually having that can potentially reduce the stress so that when the proverbial does hit the fan, as it will surely do at some point, you've got something you can refer to. Or even better, the organization has something that somebody else can refer to so that if you're on holiday, you don't have to be called. You know, that's true resilience, isn't it? Yeah, the plan is in place. That to me is also the thing that's neat as I'm learning more about operational resilience, again, from the regulatory authority perspective, is because they're looking at it from the angle of bad stuff will happen, right? So the the sort of phrase is that you assume straight up that it's going to happen. You know, the d- disruptions um, are, are going to occur within your organization. Whereas I think in the past, you know, we've looked at business continuity planning. We Oh, that's what the P is planning. We've looked at BCP. We've looked at disaster recovery. And we've engaged um, so that we're almost taking um, the angle of, you know, if something bad happens, you know, we'll do ABC and, and here's the model or the steps we'll follow, you know, here's the tools we'll look at, blah, blah, blah. Whereas with the angle that they're taking on oper- operational resilience now, they're saying when it happens, right? So we're doing exactly what you said, you know, we need to look at those tabletop exercises. We need to, again, look at those impact tolerances. You know, we know it's going to happen. Let's be ready. Yeah. And like you say, that's never going to be a one size fits all, is it? There's going to be, you know, different tolerances. There's going to be different 
assets that need to be mapped. You know, some organizations have much more sensitive personal data than others or much more sensitive commercial data than others. Um, you know, where they have their contractors is going to be a different kind of risk depending on what kind of organization it is and, you know, what what your financial profile is. Um, right. But, you know, just knowing what you have, and we, you know, we're back to first principles, aren't we, of, of information security, knowing what you have helps you build your risk profile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, that was something that was talked about today. It was, you know, understanding that risk appetite from the very top so that you can then pull out of that and then apply into the, the resilience, I don't know, footprint or model roadmap, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, yeah, it was interesting, though, because we we also sort of broke it down into the fact that, um, who was it, um, uh, Gartner, you know, the, the Gartner definition, for example, that they were talking about today. So Gartner talks about operational resilience being a set of techniques that um, help people processes in um, IT systems or informational systems to adapt. And that, you know, we're always looking at people, process, and technology, right? Yeah, right. But not not necessarily, you know, again, with that sort of angle on it so that we're looking at, okay, how are we going to, you know, manipulate or change or evolve our operations as the business conditions change or evolve? And I think it's kind of neat because it's, it's almost like you're looking at it from, uh, what is it, Moore's Law? Right, processor speed oh, increases yeah, yeah. every eighteen months, or was it doubles every eighteen months? Something like that. Um, it, it's it's really what we're looking at when we look at business conditions. I mean, part of the difficulty I know I've had in different jobs over the last ten years is, you know, we'll get all the budget and all the money and all the planning in place. You know, start to put some great project together. Ah, great two year roadmap. You get a year into it, and you're like, guys, our technology's out of date now. You know, <laughs> and so. We definitely have to uh, reevaluate, I think, the the speed with which our business is continuing to evolve. And, um, yeah, the the operational resilience angle is cool. I'm quite keen to see how it continues to evolve. I I think you sound like a bit of a convert, and I'm going to continue the religious theme, if you don't mind, because you mentioned people, process, and technology. And as we all know, Beck, they are the holy trinity of cybersecurity, are they not? So oh, at this absolutely. point, I'd like to do I'd like to do my very own choir of angels and go. Do it. <laughs> and on that note, we've reached we've reached peak listening time, I believe. Oh, brilliant! All the joggers out there, you'll be happy to know you're approximately thirty four minutes into your run. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which if you're me, at a slow crawl, that's round about five kilometers. And you're done for the day. You can go and put your feet up and have a nice pint of cider. (laughs) Or if you're like me, you've been home the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And that with wine. Wine, is it, Beck? (laughs) No, I've been very good these days. I'm off the alcohol right now, so we'll see how long that lasts. I'm trying to treat. Oh, a bit smug. bit smug. Treat my body like the temple that it is. I'm just not bloody running. Whereas I'm, whereas I'm saint and sinner, go for a jog, down some alcohol. <laughs> it's a balanced regime. <laughs> oh, Vic, great chatting with you as always. And thank you to our dedicated listeners for sticking with us. Yes, especially Max. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Max. This, this episode is definitely dedicated to you.
Absolutely. If they, if we had visuals, we'd have a photo of Mags on it. <laughs> oh, all right, awesome. Let's see how long we can wait until someone else uh, pokes us for the next one. Yeah, good point. Bye now. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>